Beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. episode of the Go to Hell podcast, Strong Opinions Weekly Held About Christianity, the Church, and Beer. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce, on this post-Easter episode. Hey, happy Easter. Um, I'm excited. I love uh, the holidays. This is actually, um, if you were to ask my mother growing up, what was her favorite holiday? She loves Easter. It's her favorite thing to decorate for. So always it was a big thing in our house. She just felt like it was always something kind of special. Um, she used to sell longer burger um, for anybody that's, you know, from the 90s. Uh, <laughs> so those were our Easter baskets were always longer burger baskets and all this kind of stuff. And she'd decorate them and, and get all the stuff going um, for them. And and it was a lot of fun the way that we would do egg hunts and stuff. She would give out prizes. Uh, like we did eggs and the eggs didn't have like anything inside them except for like a number. And so based off you would go and you'd give her the number and she would give us a gift based off of the number that we brought back. So you brought her 12. You're like, OK, you get a coloring book. And then uh, just kind of like a fun way to kind of mix it up instead of just being like, oh, you get M&Ms for like the 50th <laughs> egg in a row. Um, and like – and we all had designated colors. So, like, my sisters had to go find pink eggs. I had to go find blue eggs. Um, oh, how kind of stuff, so. Sorry. I, it never was that. It was, like, whatever anybody's favorite color was. And my sisters never liked pink. So, it was, like, g- they would have green and yellow and I had orange or something, <laughs> you know. But, yeah. Yeah, so I love Easter. It's pretty great. Um, so, how was Easter for you, Tim? Uh, Easter was wonderful. You and I both went to church at the same time, and then uh, you had family stuff to do, and then we had, over at my house, we had family come over for kind of a late brunch, um, so. Which is funny, because we talked about it on Sunday, is that one Easter ago was actually the conception of the Go to Hell podcast. That's right. Yeah, a year, a year ago was when we decided we would do this crazy thing, and so... Yeah, we uh, both we both showed up to church on Easter Sunday, and you guys were like, "What are you guys doing after this?" And we're like, "Nothing." What are you guys doing after this? And you guys are like, "Nothing." <laughs> you want to go grab brunch? And we're like, "Sure." So we went and had brunch, and over the table we talked about it. Uh, we didn't end up getting started until June, but yeah, we waited. I had stuff going on with my business, and then you had school was school going on, so yeah. it. it, it I thought my stuff would be done about the time school was ending, uh, and then you would have summer vacation, so summer would be the perfect time to record, and that's what we ended up doing anyway, even though my stuff with work didn't calm down. Uh, but we fit it in, and it's been a meaningful experience for both of us. So It's been great. A little special Easter moment for the Go to Hell podcast. Yeah, so we're going to do... It's going to be a bonus episode. We're still going to record a main episode for the week, but we just figured we'd do a quick and dirty episode, giving an idea of some thoughts on Easter and what it means to us and some things other people have written about it. 
uh, it'll be a quick dirty edit too so it might be a little more rough around the edges so I can throw it up really quick but uh, we hope you enjoy it so why don't we start with to kind of get the conversation going I came across an article written by uh, I assume a Catholic because it's in a Catholic publication online publication called the lamp and it's written for Easter week passion week so I'm gonna read I'm not gonna read the whole thing I'm just gonna read basically the beginning of it and the end because that's really the impactful parts that kind of hit the themes we want to discuss for uh, this Easter weekend and it the title of it is prayers for Judas mm -hmm. and it's by Timothy Narazzoni as I lie awake at night, struggling to clear my mind and talk to God, at times Judas Iscariot will appear. He is a walking horror, a total embodiment of every sin and offense to God. And yet, when his pale, sickly visage enters my mind, it is not the hate that I, the hate that I feel for him or scorn or fear. I feel a sorrow fall over my heart as my eyes water and my heart begins to beat louder in my chest. I find myself contemplating Judas Iscariot with the utmost misery. I am filled with a naive, perhaps misguided sense of pity. I ask myself whether these feelings could be dangerous. Was it not the man who betrayed my Savior? Did not Christ himself declare it would have been better for him that he would never been born at all? Who has any business feeling sorry for a man. The nature of Judas's betrayal has always been the subject of debate. It's impossible to say what Judas's motivations truly were. Money, anger, power, sorrow, envy, politics. The reason doesn't matter, of course, but our lack of understanding makes it even harder to accept the reality of his offenses. My soul is assaulted with mournful reflections on the biblical scenes of the betrayer's last days. The passages that describe the final moments of his life are short, but each word contains a crushing weight. Quote, I have sinned in betraying innocent blood, Judas cries as he flings his ill-gotten silver on the ground before the high priests. I can feel the heat of his face as it becomes flushed. I can feel the strain behind his eyelids as he tries in vain to fight his inevitable sobbing. My ears are filled with a clatter of silver as it hits the temple floor, the metal discs clang and ding as they roll and bounce, prolonging the sound of his futile attempt to take it back, take all of it back. I can hear the priests mocking him, refusing to take back the money as they respond to his pleas. What is that to us? See to it yourself. I am there with Judas as he dashes out of the temple, snot running down his nose and tears blinding him. I feel the heaving in his chest as it dawns on him, but the whole world, the cosmos, the entire created order, is crashing around him. The rope is coarse and dirty. The field is vast and empty, a grim place of nothingness. How lonely he must have been, climbing up that tree. Lonely in a most profound sense. A loneliness that, God willing, none of us will ever have to suffer. It was a solitude so intense that he believed he had not even the Lord to comfort him. Can you imagine yourself in such a place? Can you even for a minute bear to contemplate what it would mean to be alone and hated to the point that you believe not even God will hear your apology? But I can't not bring myself to spit on him and kick the man who cried out and tried to des desperately return his silver. He is out there, somewhere beyond my view. 
Had he been able to foresee it, the fate from which he is likely suffering is one that would have made his loneliness in the field seem enviable by comparison. Still, until I die and either meet him or separate him forever, I cannot know. At night I pray to Christ, beg beyond reason or logic, that Judas somehow found grace and was made new again. I pray for Judas. Yeah, it's a, it's a powerful confession. Um, and I think that there's a powerful message behind it. Of, And it's funny when he talks about it in the very beginning when he says about uh, – Jesus said, that, again, that this is somebody who is better off never being born. The reason why is because, one – that man, whoever it was, even if it, like we say that because at this point everybody's like, who is it? For Judas, um, it's not about Christ sitting there and saying like, you should have never been born. It wasn't one of those moments. It wasn't condemn. It wasn't a statement of condemnation. It was no, a statement of pity, of extreme pity and sorrow for. Because he knew that that person would go on to be the most hated man in existence. Judas's name is, and what we didn't, uh, what Tim didn't read is he gave you a brief is that they talk about how in the church, we don't talk about the damned and they strike them out and we don't, we don't reference them ever. And so we don't, reference Judas except with disgust every single time that he's mentioned. It's not a good thing to be a Judas of Iscariot. But it's not something that any of us could not have been. Exactly. That's the reason for the prayer for Judas. The prayer for Judas is ultimately a prayer for you and me. And I'm not even saying referencing the the kind of cliche and it's a good cliche but the cl cliche of i you know i was the man who drew the sword and pierced his pierced side. his side <laughs> no it's it's not saying that we're not we're not doing that what i'm simply saying is there what it is a prayer for is, is there anybody that is too far gone? And it's a prayer for that person. Yes. Where again, and it's a sign of pity where we, where not only does it, does Jesus sit there and know that this person will be the most hated person of all time, but also knowing that that person will then suffer the guilt and the shame. And here's the thing. Also, that's something that's important and what we're going to get to uh, and what we're going to talk about uh, for this this brief episode where where when we when we went to our church service, they talked about failure. And the the mindset of everyone that was following Jesus was of failure. They believed that Jesus was going to be this king that was going to conquer everything. If Judas believed that Jesus was God, he wouldn't have turned him in. 
a God in the sense of what God was. If he would have known, he knew it just the same way that Peter knew it. He knew it the same way where it was, there's this man and this is what we have. We don't get to see the other side of this, just like we get to do. Right. So we get to sit there and we get to point judgment and fingers at, and here's also where it's important, is we get to sit there and point fingers at Peter and we get to point fingers at Judas for the two things that they did that particular couple of days. There's, Peter has his incidences, right? Where, you know, get behind me, Satan is one of the big ones. He also has the, where he denies Jesus three times um, on the day of his death. And you're sitting there and you're like, well, that's not the same thing as turning him over. And you're absolutely right. It's not the same thing. But again, it's this idea of they were not fully committed yet. As we get to sit there and say, how could you not be? Well, the signs were all there. But you have to understand, these men were not fully committed. We see Peter's commitment and devotion after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's when we see Peter who becomes the saint in the Catholic Church. It's not what he did before. If you if you read the New Testament and think that Peter is a solid person that you should build the rock yeah, or the no. church on, you are reading the wrong book. He's I don't a, know what you're reading. He's a bumbling idiot with a big mouth. Exactly. But then you read Acts and you're like, holy shit. This guy knows what he's talking about. And again, his faith had taken that step. He had now seen the resurrected Jesus and the resurrected God. And there is a message that is delivered through that. But at this point, Judas is one of those guys that is sitting there and and is still thinking about this world and its worldly possessions rather than the big picture. And it could have been anybody of the and whenever we say the 12 disciples the 12 that are close it could have been any one of the hundreds of people that were following Jesus yeah i was like they could have came with enough money to Jesus's mother who knows and the idea is simply again that you pray for Judas and you hope for Judas because the sad part is from the message and that we get, and I thought it was greatly described in this piece is he talks about the loneliness where he doesn't believe that he can come back where he sits there and says, he believes that he is now even separated from God, not separated in the way that Pharaoh was, where Pharaoh just completely denied that God existed. He was completely denied, and this is who I believe in, and yet I have killed him. He is a father who's turned his back on his prodigal son in Judas's mind. Yeah, He's been disowned by his father, not welcomed back, because... Who would welcome back? And that's the irony. It's the first time I've thought about this. Judas had heard that parable. But. We talked about this before we started the show. That it was somewhere. It was somewhere in the lead up to Easter. Our pastor had done a sermon focused on Judas. And he didn't come right out and say. 
he didn't come right out and say this, but he, well, he he made it clear that Jesus died for Judas too, and that doesn't mean that when Jesus died on the cross, Judas was saved. Um, but one must, when one is believing in the hope of the cross, that includes a different universe where Judas reaps, re reaches the depths of hell in his mind and in his spirit, but doesn't pull the trigger in hanging himself and is no different than Peter and no different than quote unquote doubting Thomas, who wasn't really doubting Thomas, but any of the other disciples. If you for a second believe Jesus wouldn't have forgiven him no more, no less than the incredulity and the lack of faith of the others, you're not you're missing the point of the of the cross. And that's what's sad. I thought it would have been extremely powerful if I mean like you can write a narrative about this of just the idea of Imagine if Judas was in that room, you know, and I hate doing this with like, you know, the Bible or anything like that. But I mean, but I, I believe in that there's this idea of when it comes to how we interact with people and, and when we think that people are too far gone or whatever, we invite Jesus into that situation. We say, Jesus, come, come into this situation and you sit there and you, and I do think that there is a power in understanding and this this helps you reach understanding of not just having this wwjd but there's there's good ideas of that of just sitting there and imagining jesus in that situation with you and what comes from that and imagine if and use use your imagination judas never died let's say the the for whatever reasons, the disciples never found out. And so he's still hiding there among the disciples. And Jesus comes back and is among them three days later. What's the conversation that Jesus has? Do, do we have that similar moment where Jesus pulls him aside and has that conversation with him the same way that he did Peter, where he says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. you okay, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, I, I just told you I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, we literally just talked about this <laughs> twice. You know that I love you. Hello. Uh, yeah. And again, gives him that opportunity to come back from that. Again, there's that, that three number, that, that flip. Does he give that to Judas? In your mind, if you were to imagine that situation, does he, or what? You wouldn't sit there and say that was in Jesus's character. He'd smite him down right there, right? And that's what's important is that you can never go too far to where you can't come back home again. The irony is one could argue that in one, in one respect, even though the devil got the best of him and he did what he did based on his reaction to the crime he'd committed judas understood better than the other 11 who jesus really was once he'd sold him out because of the profound level 
of guilt that he has. Right. But he didn't fully comprehend what Jesus had come to do. No. But or not- maybe he did, and and maybe he did, and he's been cast to hell because he even rejected that he was worthy even of that level of, of grace. Which I wouldn't... doesn't know. Which I don't... And according to this, and I don't think anybody would disagree, I don't blame him for for that at that point. No, this is this is like the second original sin of the Bible. When when you when someone uses the term original sin, it means something so profound that it changes the world. And so you know, Adam and Eve is this original sin that profoundly changes the world, and what Judas does is kind of the second sin, great second sin of the Bible. Countries have original sins for the English, it's the Ireland problem. For the United States, it's the Indian and the slave problem. So, um, yeah, Judas. Uh, anyway. And the let's go get oil problem. <laughs> um, anyway, we we both thought that would be a good, even though it's a little more dark than what we're used to on Easter, to once, once again hammer home that... Uh, we are to love even the least among us or the most pitiable or the most despised. Yeah. And it's that idea of Jesus died on the cross for every single person. So we talked about this back when we talked about universalism a little bit. But regardless of whether you believe in universalism or not, that doesn't matter because every single person on this planet Jesus Christ died for. It's not about whether you like that person or not. It's not about how many heinous crimes that they have committed in their lifetime. That doesn't matter. Your job is to love that person. Now, again, we've talked about, you know, like that doesn't mean like you should be in abusive relationships, blah, blah, blah. What does love look like? Okay. But what we're meaning is... You need to love those people and wish and pray for them. Even if that's like the bare minimum, you sit there and you pray for them. And not pray for them and be like, uh, you know, like God smite them or something. <laughs> it is, God, I hope that they find you. And that there is restoration and mercy and compassion for them. And that they know that that is out there for them. Or no, not that we condone their acts, their sins, their transgressions. No, we sit there and say, but somebody still loves you in spite of that. Yeah. And that's what Jesus died on the cross for was, I do this for you. So. All right, one more quote. And this one... This one's involving Monday Thursday. If you're not familiar with this term, if you're a Protestant, you don't know that term. It uh, refers to uh, the day of the Last Supper. It's called the Monday Thursday in the Catholic Church. I don't know what other strings of uh, high church, so to speak, it's part of. But uh, it's one of the days celebrated leading up to Easter much more by the Catholic Church than Protestant Church. But uh, this is a quote from Richard John Newhouse, who's a very famous and very good uh, writer, theologian, 
Monday Thursday is so called because that night, the night before he was betrayed, Jesus gave the command, the mandatum, that we should love one another, not necessarily with the love of our desiring, but with a demanding love, even a demeaning love, as in washing the feet of faithless friends who will run away and leave you naked to your enemies. After he slices off their ear. <laughs> Can't take that away from Peter. Yeah. Um, it's his last bit, right? It's the... It's the... All right. You haven't listened to a darn thing that I said this whole damn time, so... We're going to do this one more... We're going to repeat ourselves. Oh, we're going to... We're going to go through it one more time. And so he says it. Let's get this point. Let's drive this point home. Um, and right. And like, it, and it's so funny because like, again, you read Acts and like, it's like, everybody's awake. You know, you, you, I mean, you still have Peter who does dumb stuff. Uh, and it's like, okay, Peter, what are you doing? Um, but. Uh, just that shift right and that's the power so i mean like we talked about that the the power of the cross but there's also the power of the resurrection right like there's this there's this moment where we have victory we've seized the day this is what gives us hope this is what gives us our belief right Right? Like, those words don't mean anything unless Jesus rose again. If he didn't come back, that doesn't mean anything. That was just some guy talking who just died on the cross. We're like, okay, he lived like a semi-perfect life or whatever. But he comes back and he says, now do you all see what I'm talking about? Well, I think it also has half the meaning if he'd washed the feet of people he knew were going to stand up. And then once he was dead, we're all sitting around a room like, well, we got we got three days here. We gotta wait. We gotta, we gotta wait out here. We got three days. Yep, three days. Okay, so we're all good. Just three days. No, he's washing the feet of the idiot mobile. Yeah, yeah, guys that are like, again, they're locked in a room when he comes back. They they are terrified. They think that they're gonna be. Murdered next. The rabbis have won. Yeah. They're going to collect, they're going to round up all of his mate. Because again, when they talk about the 12, and when I said hundreds earlier of people that were following Jesus, again, you have to think of it as like these are his leadership group. Like yeah. these are the, these are his deacons or whatever. These are the people that are under him, the most closely associated. So if you want to, Put an end to it. And this was also something that was really powerful that was talked about on Sunday is, yes, when you crucified somebody, it was to strike them from the record. Very similar to in the United States, if you ever hung somebody up by a tree. This is the best way that I could yeah, probably put it. It's, it's similar to a lynching. Very similar. Where it's a, it's a, it's a slam process. This isn't a public, I mean, it's a public execution, but it's not a, uh, <laughs> it's not a trial. It's not a political message. 
well, it's political, but it's not in the same way of take him into Rome and do that kind of ordeal, very similar to what they did to other Christian figures. But when it comes to Jesus, it is, this guy isn't worth it. Hang him up on a cross. And again, let's put a sign. Two other common common criminals. Put a sign above his head. And so that way, whenever anybody walks down this road, they sit there and say, this is what happens. When you challenge Rome. Right. And this is something like, again, crucifixions are all along Roman roads. That's where they would hang them. And it's for you to sit there and see what happens to you if you challenge Rome. And that's what happened to Jesus. He was supposed to be a warning. A sign of somebody that you are not supposed to be. And so all these 12 guys are hiding out in their house because they know that they're next. Yeah. They're terrified that they're going to be next. And Jesus steps into that room. And it's a huge change in that moment. Also... Forrest got something wrong the other day. I don't know. He's not usually wrong. <laughs> but Forrest said that we only know of two guys that ever were crucified. We know Spartacus and we know Jesus. Peter was crucified upside down, but... I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I noticed that too. You know other people. I was like, oh, I was like ah, we'll, we'll let him have his moment. <laughs> He's being a little too emphatic. On yeah, I know. Too many. The pro- the the what the importance or, or the process for uh, crucifying somebody was beyond just the punishment. But it was a good moment, and and something that is to note. Again, this is very similar to a lynching. The best way to describe it would be very similar to a lynching in the United States. It's not. <laughs> The, the trial that Jesus was on was not a trial. <laughs> It'd be very similar, like, I, I hate to say it, of like a very similar situation where, and I mean, this is just, again, a good representation of, for just, for Americans, where you sit there and say, this would be the same thing as if the, if a certain racist group of white people uh, in the South during the early 20s, 30s, 40s, uh, a.k.a. the Ku Klux Klan, were to round up an African-American and put him on trial in front of everybody there. It's not fair, right? Like, yeah. we're not going to sit there and then they lynch him. Any accusations that they make or whatever, they're null and void. But yet this was happening in American culture. And it is very similar to what happened to Jesus. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm, again, just trying to draw the analogy for you where I think sometimes it makes it seem like they're, because we in the United States sometimes sit there and we're like, our judicial system and this is how it works and blah, blah, blah. And we see laws and blah, blah, blah. No, that's not. No, the whole was. process was a, was a humiliation. People aren't normally tried the way Jesus was tried in public, where it's him or, or uh, Barabbas. And it's done in front of a big group of people. The whole thing was a, was a sideshow. Right. It was, it was a show trial. It was to deface him. It was deface. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a to deface him. Um, yeah, and put down any any more Jewish 
uh, uprisings because there have been very large ones before there Jesus, were other ones as and well. then there were ones that came after Jesus that didn't have anything to do with the Christian movement um, and the Jewish leaders at the time enjoyed their power brokerage with the Roman authorities so they didn't want Jesus to mess up what they had going on either so and so what they did was they hung him up on a cross for everybody to see and it was supposed to be a humiliating defeat. And that is how the disciples took it. But then after that moment, after Jesus comes in, it is now, again, you are seeing completely different people who are no longer afraid of death, who are out there living out the mission because of what they've seen and what they've heard. It's a huge moment where you get to see God's victory play out where they are fully living up to what it says right here, this this demanding love, demanding love from them. And demeaning love. Right. And so they're able to go out there, and like I said, Peter fumbles around a couple more times. He's not perfect. His, ar- his, ar- his, his arrogance and self-assuredness never goes away. <laughs> And they, and they go out there and they do amazing things. And nearly all of them die for it. Something that they were so terrified of in that room. Those three days in. Yeah. And so there's a huge, amazing power that we receive from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Of knowing that our God has the victory. Um over anything that goes on in this world to where that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Not his sacrifice, but the pain and the suffering were not nearly as much as the message that he wanted to be presented. Because again, if he didn't resurrect, it was just another wise guy saying it up on and dying on the stage. And that's actually kind of what we've got in mere Christianity. Yeah. That we're going to be talking about in our next full episode. <laughs> Anything else on Easter? No, I think that's good. We hope everybody at home got to have a good Easter as well. And uh, understood the importance of the holiday. And uh, if you didn't, go to hell. Actually, it's not a good weekend to week to say go to hell we hope everybody goes to heaven